Hello, and welcome to Madison City Channel's Know Your Canada's Interviews, co-sponsored by the League of Women Voters of Dane County. I'm Melanie Ramey, your moderator today, and join me in welcoming Marilyn Townsend, who is a candidate for Dane County Circuit Court Judge Branch 12. So, Marilyn, uh, maybe we could begin by you telling us of what your qualifications, your experience, and so forth uh, that you have in your background that makes you think that you would like to be the judge. Well, thank you, and it's such a pleasure to be here, and I really appreciate the opportunity to respond to the League and to talk to the voters. As you know, my name is Marilyn Townsend. I'm currently a municipal court judge in the village of Shorewood Hills. I'm in my third term. I am a judge. I have judicial experience, and I bring that experience and those qualifications to this candidacy. In addition, for over 30 years, I have been a union civil rights lawyer here in Dane County, and I've been speaking out on behalf of my clients against injustices against them, be it the government, large corporations, institutions. I've always prided myself on speaking out on behalf of the little guy. I currently have a case in the Wisconsin Supreme Court where I challenged the Scott Walker law, which made it more difficult for workers to gain unemployment benefits. We won it in the Court of Appeals. It is currently pending there. I mentioned that this case as an example of the type of work I have done. I know as a practicing lawyer for over 30 years, representing poor people and individuals, that often I think the judges don't hear the little guy in the same way they hear the large institutions, the large government. As a judge in municipal court and as a judge in circuit court, I would make sure that both sides are heard. I will be fair and impartial, but I will not unduly favor the larger interest. And I think, unfortunately, whether unconsciously or otherwise, that sometimes occurs. For example, in a recent case, which I lost in Dane County Circuit Court, the judge told me at the time, read the government brief if you want to know why you lost. Well, I had read it. I appealed that judge, and that judge was reversed three to zero. But I felt, as my client would have said to me, or did say to me, Marilyn, the judge didn't even hear us. I make sure in municipal court that the individual is heard, I serve as a check on the prosecution, and I would take these values, these experiences, to the Dane County Circuit Court. And are there um, one or two personal qualities of yours that you think that really qualify you for this job? Well, I think all of us bring our childhood experiences to whatever we do in life. And I think the fact that I had a fairly poor childhood as one of eight children on a northern Wisconsin farm, um, I understand firsthand what it's like to be poor, what it's like not to have access to legal resources, 
my mother and father never went beyond grade school. They valued education. My mother had odd jobs as a waitress. Mother would tell us about being cheated out of her tips. I remember as a child thinking how unfair that was. So I was very fortunate to become a lawyer. I'm very proud to be a lawyer. I'm very proud to be a municipal court judge. But I often think of the experiences of my parents, particularly my mother, when I'm representing individuals and attempting to make sure that they get the rights that the law entitles them to. What do you think when you think about this judgeship? What do you think will be uh, maybe the most uh, important challenge that you'll face in dispensing justice? Well, I understand that what's most, I think making sure that everyone is treated as an individual. I have been in courts and particularly observing recently the criminal courts. It's almost like folks are being warehoused. They are on assembly lines. And when I get on the bench, I would pace things. I would treat people as individuals. I think one of the challenging things that a lot of um, voters don't see is they don't go in and observe criminal court, for example, and don't appreciate how much a judge is going through a script. And you almost feel that the judge doesn't recognize that you have a human being sitting before you as a defendant. There are family members. There are victims there. And it's very important for the judge to see the human factors. And I've been representing so many of these individuals, the working poor, for 30 years. I know the families. I know the anguish. And I would bring this to the circuit court bench. Well, you probably know that the criminal uh, issues or the cases that are before this branch right now, the rotation for criminal cases, how do you think it, you, a judge can go about uh, balancing the rights of the accused and the rights of victims when they're in court? Well, I think they are both very important. Um, the defendant is many times facing incarceration. The victim is many times facing long-term emotional damage. The victim wants to be heard and the victim has a right under the law to be heard. At the same time, the defendant has a constitutional right to be heard. So I think you have to carefully listen to each side, and particularly the victims, make sure they understand that you have heard them. One of the complaints I have gotten from my clients, and I hear sometimes from attorneys is there is not a sense that the judge has really heard the anguish, the challenges that brought the person to the court. And I think if people are acknowledged in that respect, then you help encourage respect for the law, 
regardless of what decision the judge may ultimately make. And I think my experience for over 30 years of representing folks from challenging parts of life give me particular understanding because so many of the judges either came from large firms or were government attorneys, um, be it from justice or from the DA's office, and they don't bring the same experiences that I will bring to the bench. You know, Marilyn, I'm sure the, um, that you're aware that there's a backlog of cases for the court now. And I'm just wondering when you think about, do you think of any sort of innovative ideas that m- might work in dealing with some of the case, lo- the backlog, or, you know, uh, some ideas about how to keep the rate of recidivism down, that people don't just keep coming into court and going out on the street and coming back into court and so forth. What have you thought about that? I'm, uh, I can tell you've been giving a lot of thought to this well, whole thing. Yeah. Well, thank you. Well, first of all, um, we don't currently have weekend courts, and I think there's various reasons for that, including um, budgetary issues. However, there's also, I understand, some resistance Um, from judges to working weekends. I would say I am happy to have weekend court. I'm happy to put in whatever time it takes. I do that now. Um, Many times I work seven days a week, but I don't consider it work. I love the law. I love being a judge. and, And the fact that it might require extra hours is not an issue. Um, The whole other question of of how do you prevent people repeating the offenses? Well, my record for 30 years of representing individuals in civil rights cases includes representing individuals who can't get jobs because of arrest, conviction, Records, charging records, or their names in the newspaper. And I think we have to be careful right up front. Should we charge someone with an offense? Or should they be charged criminally rather than could it be done with a civil penalty to keep their employment options open? One of the shocking things that are going on now in the Dane County criminal courts is that our current attorney general is charging criminally certain offenses that previously were treated as civil offenses. For example, if an individual is charged with unemployment compensation fraud, that used to be dealt with with paying back the money with penalties, um, don't do it again. Now the person is being charged with a crime. There was a recent case, African-American man from Milwaukee. He had no record. He paid back all the money. He paid back, the, he paid the penalties. He apologized. Then Brad Schimmel charged him with a crime. My question is, how does that help our community to have an individual who doesn't have a criminal record, has indicated remorse, has paid back the ill-gotten goods, how does it 
how does it help our community by giving that person a record? You know, there are lots of different kinds of cases that come into the court. And I particularly think of people who come in unrepresented, uh, people for whom English is not their first language, uh, and, you know, other special kinds of, uh, of issues. How do you think that maybe the court can deal with that, those sorts of clients or sorts of people, uh, and, and be sure that they have justice? Well, I think that's a good question, and I face that currently in municipal court because the folks who come into our court come from all over the world, many of whom have language issues. What we do is, where necessary, you have an interpreter, but more often than not, the judge, I take the time to make sure that they understand the charges particularly as you recognize many individuals come without lawyers. And as a result, they're confused. They're not sure of what they're being charged with. And I, even when I have trials with unrepresented um, clients, we start by reading the law, by reading the statute. And... Um, I think the first time I did it, the prosecutor was somewhat surprised, but it really helped the defendant in court because so many of these statutes are really in plain English, and there's not a mystery to them. I had one case where a young man was charged with going through um, for example, a railroad, um, blinking lights. And once we read the statute that said it's as long as they're blinking, you can't go through, he seemed to understand, and that was the end of that story. How do you see as maybe part of your job that you can interpret uh, to the community at large sort of what it is a judge does and what it's like to come into court? Have you thought much about that? Well, I have. Yeah. I um as one of eight children, I would point out that three of my sisters are teachers. I think if I had not become a lawyer, I would have been an educator. And I see my role as that of educating. And I would not only, when folks appear before me, do I want to make sure they are educated on the law, but I love going out into the community. I often do that now as a lawyer where I um, present on, for example, Title IX and sexual violence on campus. That is a topic that I've presented several times. And I think education is very important. And a judge should look for opportunities in and out of the courtroom to educate. You know, we've talked about several things, but I wonder if there's any other issue that we haven't talked about that you think is really important for a judge. Well, I think it's important for um, when you're picking a judge for the viewers to think about what experience isn't represented on the bench. If I am elected to the Dane County Circuit Court, it would be the first time that someone with union civil rights um, experience would be elected, someone who's a solo practitioner who has run a business, um, which I have done for 30 years in my law practice. In addition, I serve 
12 years in village government as a board member, dealing with various legal issues that challenge municipalities. I have a very broad base of experience, which I think, whether I'm dealing with a civil case, a criminal case, a juvenile case, gives me an important perspective. And lastly, when Supreme Court Justice Sotomayor was in town a few months ago, whom I greatly admire, she had said, remember, when you're picking a judge, see whose experience isn't represented. In this case, my opponent is a former prosecutor, currently works at the Justice Department. We have judges on the Dane County Circuit Court judge that Uh, bench that represent these experiences. We have no one who represents my background, my experiences. You know, I think we've talked uh, about uh, quite a lot, and maybe you'd like to take a couple of minutes to sort of sum up and tell people why they should vote for you. Well, I, I think they should vote for me because as, continuing what I said before, I bring a very um, unique background In addition to the fact, as I mentioned, that I understand firsthand the challenges of poverty, the challenges of having parents who were not well-educated but valued education, the challenges of what it's like to have to try and work hard to get an education. I, I understand that, and then I took these challenges and use my law degree to spend over 30 years representing the type of folks that um, my parents were. And um, so I think that's something to think about as folks decide. Now, in closing, I would point out I have the endorsement of Court of Appeals Judge Joanne Kloppenberg, many um, long-standing respected folks in the community, Senator Fred Risser, Representatives Chris Taylor, Therese Berceau, Diane Hesselbein, Sande Pope, Spencer Black, Dave Clarenbach, um, Kelda Helen Royce. Many labor unions support me because they've seen the work that I do. So um, Peg Lautenschlager, Barbara Lawton, I know that's and um, over 500 more, which are on my website, judgetownsendforcircuitcourt.com. Thank you very much, Marilyn, and thank you for your candidacy, because the League of Women Voters, we just think it's really important that people do become candidates and do run for office so that the voters have a choice. And so I thank you for that, and I thank you for watching, and I want to urge you to be sure that you go and vote on Tuesday, April 4th. And so on behalf of the Madison City Channel and the Dane County League of Women Voters, thank you much for joining us.